all I can say to you fine, precious peeps that are veterans, thank you. Thank you for what you've done, what you've sacrificed, what you've put your body through, what you have been away from your family. And um, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to know you. I am honored that I share this community with you. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to our military in so many ways. And I think as a way of showing my gratitude, my idea is that we give our military a chance of God's word. So I'd like to show you a short video. Now we have been giving money to Faith Comes By Hearing for years for the military Bible stick. So this is an opportunity again if you would like to give. We will be taking uh, up an offering next week. If you want to do it now, just if you want to write a check, make it out to Heights Christian Church and then the um, comment section just put down military Bible stick and we'll make sure that money gets to faith comes by hearing but I wanted to do it for two weeks uh, giving people an opportunity to do that okay sounds good all right well um, we are in Luke Acts right now and we have been reading chapters um, 17 through 20 this week. And um, hopefully you've been reading it. I mean, I've been reading it and I, I have to make sure that I read it because I know that many of you are doing it as well. And so that kind of keeps me spurred on to doing it and hopefully you're doing it too. So when you read through, I'm sure this week you came across the triumphal entry and you go, oh my gosh, Pastor Mark, he's going to jump on that about Jesus coming into the city and no, I, I, I really felt like God was leading me not to do that this week. So um, today we're going to be doing just a short portion. I know normally I do a chapter, but I'm not doing a chapter today. I'm just going to do a, a short, uh, early portion of chapter 17. Now, if you look at chapter 17, and if you have your, your, book, your Bible or um, your uh, booklet that we have put together um, you can, I mean, sorry, chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. Um, you see that there's a lot of um, small little passages, one right after the other. You have a parable about the persistent widow. Then you have a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Then you have Jesus and the little children. Then you have the rich young ruler. And then you have Jesus again predicting his death. And then you have a blind beggar receiving sight. In my way of thinking, these are just little pericopes, and Luke, as the author, is trying to show sort of a day in the life of Jesus. There's always something going on. There's teaching, there's healing, there's confrontations with the religious leaders as he's walking around, and Luke chapter 18 sort of shows us what's going on. And the day in the life of Jesus... And so, at, at, at this point, I would, I would like to just take a little time today 
to look at two parables. Just two parables of Jesus. But I think, even though we're not diving into the triumphal entry, we're not, because we've got plenty of time to do that. But um, we need to look at what Jesus is teaching. One to everyone and one to his disciples. Okay? So let's, let's, look at, let's look at the very first one in Luke chapter 18. And it's starting in verse 1. And by the way, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I'll be, I'll be doing the New King James Version. I'll be doing a little bit of the NIV. I'll be bouncing around because I believe both of them are inspired and stuff. It maybe gives us just a different look. So here we go. Then he spoke a parable to his disciples that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Okay, so that's the first a short passage of Scripture, but it's what Jesus told about the persistent widow and the judge. So, it's com- this thing is no- commonly known as the parable of the persistent widow. Okay? But it's really about the judge. Luke, in his writing of Luke Acts, he gives us the reason before he gives us actually Jesus' words. He, he gives us the reason why Jesus taught this. Remember, many of the times with the parables, we have Jesus speaking, and the disciples come up later and say, what was that all about? Because they didn't get it. So what Luke is doing when he's talking, he's writing this, remember, he's writing this to Theophilus, and he's, he's explaining it as he's going. Just like Jesus would explain to a disciple Theophilus, who is a lover of God, who is seeking to find out about Jesus, Luke is saying, okay, this is what this is all about. And I love it when he says that, because he says that men ought to pray. Jesus knew that we ought to pray. And so the reason is that we should pray and not lose heart. We should pray and not lose heart. One of the things that I've I know about the Word of God is that commandments that, that God gives us are for us because we don't normally do it. You know, you know what I'm saying? The Bible doesn't say, hey, Mark, think of yourself. Why? Because I do that naturally. Hey, hey, hey Mark, um, you can um, talk about yourself. 
He doesn't need to tell me that because I do it all the way, all the time. Self-centered. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples, remember it says, if you read it, it says, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the people that have chosen to follow him. Not just, not the crowd, he's talking to his disciples. And he says, I, I want you to, I want you to pray, and I want you to lose heart. Why? Because sometimes we don't pray. In fact, there are times prayer seems to be at last resort. And we have a tendency to lose heart. Because things don't go the way I want them. And then I lose heart. And so this short little parable... There is a division here that Jesus is speaking as one who speaks to someone who he cares about, who he loves, his disciples. They've chosen. They've given up everything. They are following him. Jesus said that men always ought to pray because we ought to pray because there is, he knows, a natural spiritual instinct created in us to reach out to something beyond ourselves. I mean, even people who don't believe in God, when something surprises them, oh God! Where does that come from? Well, let's look at Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has put eternity in our heart, so there is something beyond just our reality here that at times of trouble, we, we, what do we, what do we do? I, 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 I. And this is the point where Jesus says, you need to pray. In fact, if you look in the in the New Testament in First Thessalonians, and listen, if you go, hey, I want to I want to I want to learn a new verse of Scripture, but I have a hard time learning Scripture. It's this is one of the easiest passages of Scripture. First Thessalonians five seventeen. Here it is. You ready? Pray continually, dude. You just learned a verse. Awesome! Pray continually. In other translations, it says, pray without ceasing. Jesus knew this because he did it himself. We we see Jesus praying all the time. And he knows how much good, constant prayer will do us. And how much harm it will keep us from. And then Jesus didn't want us to lose heart. Jesus also knew that often we fail in prayer because we lose heart. We become discouraged and then no longer pray as we should. It's easy to lose heart in prayer because prayer is hard work that we often approach too lightly. There's there's a story where 
a man comes to Jesus. It's right after the transfiguration. He comes down, and there's a man arguing with his disciples, the ones that were left. And he comes to Jesus and says, I want my son healed. But your disciples prayed, and nothing happened. And Jesus prays, the boy is healed. And the disciples come back to Jesus and says, how come we couldn't do that? He says, because it's with much prayer it needs to be done. Not just approach it. Someone says, hey, I need prayer. I'll pray for you. And then, okay, we'll just stop. Let's pray right now. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I prayed, so we're done. We need to be wrestling with the prayer. And I know we have some people in this congregation that are amazing prayer warriors. But lately, because of my study in this, I have found that I'm, I'm trying to be more of a, a better prayer-er. Prayer. And this week, and Amy, I don't mean to call you out, but I'm going to anyway. Amy's been suffering. She's been going through a lot of pain. And so Dave asked me... I, Pray, pray for my wife. And I said, I will. And I did. And I just kept it up. I just kept praying. And this week I asked her, I said, How's she, how are you doing? She goes, well, I got those shot injections. I'm starting to feel better. I started almost crying. I was just like, oh, this is amazing. God's doing amazing work. Why do I say, why do I say wrestle? Well, in Colossians 4.12, Paul's Talking, he's at, he's at the end of this letter to the, the people in Colossae, and he says this. He talks about one of, the, one of his fellow workers, Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. The commendation to Epaphras is not that he prayed for the people of Colossae, that he was wrestling with God with them, that they would become mature, that they would start doing and being fully a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was wrestling. He was the connotation is that he's 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 continual and he's working it. He's listen, this isn't repetition. This isn't the type Jesus isn't saying, you just need to keep repeating, keep repeating, repeating. No. There are times I pray, and my prayer doesn't get answered the way I want. Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me this week. But you know what? Continual prayer before the Heavenly Father doesn't necessarily change God's mind, but it changes my heart. And I'm able to see things differently in prayer. And I think this is part of what Jesus is talking about here. So, and he's, he's speaking to his disciples because he wants them to pray and he wants them to have a prayerful life just like he did. 
So we had two characters in this parable. By the way, when I say that Jesus prayed, and we should pray like Jesus, can I tell you, Jesus is still praying because he's still alive. And let me give you a great promise. Let me encourage you. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he, meaning Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So when you are praying to God, you're having Jesus right there interceding on your behalf as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you get the can you get the grasp of that? Not only is created feeble insignificant person coming to the Father, the mighty creator of everything. And you're praying. And Jesus is going, yeah, yeah, God, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm praying that prayer for, on behalf of him as well. Whoa. Maybe I shouldn't be taking prayer so lightly. So we have the two characters in this parable. We have, we have this widow, and then we have the unjust judge. Listen. During this time, a widow and an orphan, but the widow at this point, in this, that's in the story, is the most vulnerable of all the people in Jewish society. The family was, was the unit was supposed to be able to take care of each other. If you have a widow and her husband died and she didn't have any children, she's on the streets, okay? And she could be taken advantage of. And the connotation here in this parable is that she has been taken advantage of. I mean, she wants justice from her adversary. By the way, if, if you look at the story, this was probably not a Jewish judge. When in, in Jewish society at the time, it was brought before the elders, an elders' council. So when he talks about a judge here that's Unjust. He probably means, and people saw that as a Roman magistrate, okay, who was over a certain area. Also, you know, the, the unjust judge, when he says, I will grant her request, unless because she, she's going to weary me. I think it's in the Greek. The word for that is translated weary, weary me, literally means to be stunned or a punch right below the eye. So what this judge is saying is, I'll, I'll give her what she wants, lest I get a black eye. She's, she's wearing me down. The unjust judge only reluctantly answered the woman's request in this parable. Now, Jesus did not give this parable to say that God was like the unjust judge. He's saying that God is most unlike the judge. 
The woman had to overcome the judge's reluctance to help. And we often feel that we must do the same when we pray, using our persistence to overcome God's reluctance. But this misses the point of this parable entirely. Jesus didn't say that men always ought to pray and not lose heart because God is reluctant, but because he isn't. And that is our encouragement to prayer. Prayer should be our first inclination to do anything. It should be the first thing we should do. Listen, God loves to answer our prayers. He even helps us when we pray. God is on our side. He's not against us. There are several contrasts that Jesus makes in this parable that I want to just point out to you. You may already have them, but for me, I was like, wow, okay, look at this. The judge was unfair. God is fair. The judge had no personal interest in the widow. God loves and cares for those who petition him. The judge answered the widow's cry out of, purely out of self-interest. God loves to bless his people for their good. Our God is a righteous, wonderful judge. We come to a judge of perfect, good character. We come to a judge who loves to care for his children. We come to a judge who is kind and gracious. We come to a judge who knows us. We come to a judge with an advocate, a friend, who will plead our case to the judge. That's Jesus. We come to the judge with promises that he will encourage us. And we come to the judge with the right of constant access to a judge who has our personal interest in our case. Wow. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says this. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When I was first studying this, I'm like, wait, what does that have to do with the unjust judge and the persistent widow? This ties Jesus' thought to his words that you find in chapter 17 about the end times, the second coming. Unless we know who God is, being not like the unjust judge... And unless we are people who pray without losing heart, we don't yet have the kind of faith Jesus will look for when he returns. That's how important that is. All right, let's look at the second parable that Jesus said here in chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. But for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is one of um, my favorite parables. Because, again, Jesus is doing a contrast here again. He's showing pride when it comes to the Pharisee and humility when it comes to the tax collector. Pride and humility. He even says at the end, he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But I want you to remember something else. And this, this is the first thing. It occurred to me for the first time this week. I mean, I know I'm a pastor. Supposed to know so much about the Bible. But can I tell you, every time I read Scripture, I get something new out of it. And there's lots of times I'll read something in the Bible, I'll go, hey, man, was this in the Bible before? I mean, it's just, huh. But when you see the Pharisee praying to God at the temple, and you see the tax collector praying to God in the temple, of course, it says that the Pharisee is praying to himself. But anything, look at both of what they say. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, alters, and even as a tax, tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. Jesus is not disputing that the Pharisee is saying anything untrue. Everything that the Pharisee is saying is true. I have no doubt that he did tithe, that he did give to... That he was thanking God that he wasn't like these other guys. And the tax collector, everything that he told God was true as well. They're both true. So what's the difference? And that's the key to this parable. That's the key. We have a Pharisee who's like, I'm better. I'm different than other people, these other men. I'm better. And then you have the tax collector who says, I'm not like these other people. I'm worse. And they both are praying to God. Except one is heard and one is not. We can imagine the Pharisee praying these words eloquent words, flowing, spiritual style. Anyone who heard him would say, wow, what a spiritual man. And then, in contrast, we, we can imagine the tax collector broken, praying awkwardly and halting phrases in fear. But Jesus said, the tax collector, his prayer pleased God. The Pharisee, his words fell to the ground. If you look in the Greek and what it's talking about. The contrast that Jesus is showing is between pride and humility. The ancient Greek word translated to be merciful when the 
tax collector says, be merciful to me, O God. Hiloxomai. John, did you get that for the Greek? Okay, hiloxomai. It is, it is actually the word for an atoning sacrifice. The fullest sense of what the tax collector said was, God, be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins because I am a sinner. Not because I've done all these things for you. Not because I am giving money. Because of your, because I'm a sinner, I got nothing. And I can only rely on your mercy and atoning sacrifice. The only other place we see Hiloxomai is found in Hebrews 2.17. And it's translated, if you're in your New King James, propitiation. Okay? Charles Spurgeon said about this passage, he said, In the original Greek, the words are even fewer than in the English. Oh, that men would learn to pray with less of language and more of meaning. What great things are packed away in this short petition. God, mercy, sin, propitiation, and forgiveness. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. Wow. And Jesus says that the second man, the tax collector, was justified before God. That justification of the tax collector was immediate. He humbly came to God on the basis of God's atoning sacrifice and was justified. He didn't earn his justification. He didn't have a probationary period. He was simply justified immediately. And he was justified because as a sinner, he humbly prayed for mercy. And mercy, in the sense of an atoning sacrifice, he prayed, Oh God, be satisfied with what you have done and forgive me. Notice what he didn't say. Tax collector did not say, God, be merciful to me. I'm not, a, I'm not a Pharisee. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me, a repentant sinner. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me, a praying sinner. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me. You know, I'm only human. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me. I'll try to do better. He simply prayed, praying body, soul, and spirit. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And and then Jesus talks about the way God receives us. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Listen, true humbleness is simply seeing things the way they are. The Pharisee saw himself as something great when he wasn't. And the tax collector saw himself as a sinner needing God's mercy. And he was. We gain nothing by coming to God in the lie of pride. The principle God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, is so important that God in his word 
repeats it three times. You find it in Proverbs 3, 34, James 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5. And we know when God says something three times, he kind of thinks it's important. Listen, the biggest relationship killer, well, I don't care if it's marriage, I don't care if it's within the church, I don't care if it's for a nation, the biggest relationship killer is pride. You want to kill your relationship with God? Show pride. You want to kill your relationship with your spouse? Have pride. You want to ruin relationships within this body of believers? Show pride. We need to be humble, guys. We need to be humble. And today, we're going to practice praying to God this prayer. So the praise team is going to play. Can we play the song? And this is what I want you to do. If you feel led to come up and to pray in front here, and if you want to beat your breast like the tax collector, so be it. If you like, don't feel comfortable with that, I want you to stand, and I want you to pray this with all your heart, mind, and soul. Because you know what? You are a sinner. There's nobody in this room that gets out. We're all sinners, and we just need to pray for God's mercy. So won't you stand, let's sing, and then let's practice praying, and then you'll be dismissed.